Hey everybody, this podcast is both sponsored by and recorded using Riverside, a cloud-based virtual recording studio that allows you to simply send a link to your guest, have them click on it through a browser, and it will capture their audio and video streams separately on the cloud, which is such an awesome feature because no more guests with pixelated webcam footage and you with your local really nice recording, both feeds get treated like they're local. And on top of that, all of these files are saved individually, which means you could process the audio separately as well as do whatever you'd like with the video, which is a huge help for anybody who likes to process and really make their podcast look and sound a little bit better. Now, in this recording, I learned something new about Riverside, uh, and I had to get over some of my trust issues in order to really take advantage of it. But the guest's internet connection was incredibly slow and spotty. And Riverside was recording and buffering everything in the cloud, but I kept getting signal drops the same way I normally would using any standard IM-based recording. So I was used to when that happens, where I had to stop talking to make sure that all the buffers caught back up, and then continue afterwards. And in actuality, I didn't need to do that at all. I could have just kept talking because Riverside was buffering in the cloud, and it didn't really matter how much time it took to buffer the video in the cloud-based side because the audio was still coming through in real time. So even though I did my normal secondary backup copy, uh, the backup copy shows that I was thought that I was getting dropouts like a normal local recording would have. But as you could see in the interview coming up, it actually worked totally fine. So it just kind of proved to me once again how reliable Riverside has been and how happy I am to have switched over to that. Now, of course, I'm still going to do my backup local recording because I am an untrustworthy nerd no matter how hard I try not to be. I showed how to do that in the last podcast, but overall... Riverside's recordings have always been better and more reliable as a whole. So if you'd like to try this platform out yourself, go to retrorgb.link forward slash Riverside and use coupon code retrorgb30 for 30% off your first three months or yearly plan for Riverside. So enough of that. Let's jump in and talk to Mako. Hey everybody, I am joined today by Mako. How you doing, man? Hello. So uh, a lot of these interviews that I do are people that I've followed or people that I've known. And it's, you know, in the other half of them, I guess I would say, are people that I'm trying to get to know. Uh, friends of friends, you know, people in the scene. And you definitely fall into that category because uh, I first started seeing your videos pop up because, you know, you have some pretty good tutorials. Um, and then I found out you were friends with Shank uh, and then the whole funny Voltar thing. So uh, I was kind of just like, all right, well, who's Mako? <laughs> You'll Everybody who's heard the song will understand why I just laughed at that, but <laughs> not not mocking Mako here. So uh, would you like <laughs> would you like to tell everybody who the fuck is Mako? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll put the song at the end so you guys all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, yeah, I... I do a lot of Game Boy mods. Um, I may be more well known for my slate that I put on a shirt because, of course, I did. Um, oh, let me yeah. control that light behind me. Hang on. Um, but I, I don't know. I just I like 
doing Game Boy mods. So what exactly is that for people who are on, uh, um, you know, uh, first not aware of your gotcha. work, I guess. So I, in the last couple of years, there's been like an explosion in aftermarket parts, accessories, sort of stuff uh, for Game Boy consoles. Um, I guess for those that aren't aware the Game Boy at all, uh, it was a series of consoles that Nintendo launched starting in 1989 with the original model uh, all the way through 2005 with the Game Boy Micro. And for the, long, for the longest time, the community kind of stagnated because uh, there wasn't really a... Um, there wasn't really a system set up for creating custom parts for this sort of stuff until the last few years, really. And so in the last few years, we've seen stuff like backlight kits, uh, new cases, um, flash cards so you can play, you know, whatever games you want to play. And I know there's been flash cards basically since the beginning, but in the last couple of years, they actually got good. Um, yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's just been fun. I, I like tinkering with this sort of stuff. And at some point I figured, you know, like maybe I could film it. And if I help someone else out with what I film, then I think I've done a good thing. I... Yeah, so I, I couldn't agree more. So, yeah, I guess your focus is on handhelds and then the Game Boy consoles uh, and different mods and screen uh, screen mods and other things you could do to it. Um, did I see you at one point do an audio mod as well for chiptunes related stuff? I don't, I don't really do audio mods for the most part. Uh, if I'm being honest, when I play my Game Boys, I usually have the volume down. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, some of those games had amazing soundtracks. Some of them did not. <laughs> and it just sounds like a lot of noise coming out. Um, and, you know, they were all designed to be used through that speaker. So sometimes having the lower quality speaker makes it sound more accurate to what the developers were intending. Kind of like with composite video versus mm -hmm. RGB on a CRT. Sometimes the blurriness of composite is what the intent always was. But there are certainly a whole bunch of really great soundtracks and uh, a bunch of really amazing mu musicians that have turned the Game Boy into a, a little a mini powerhouse of a, an audio creation I, tool. Yeah, that's that's super cool. And I respect the hell out of that. But I, I'm not really a music guy. I like chiptunes. I but I, I, I'm not one to create mm -hmm. them, so I just haven't really touched that aspect, I guess. No, that makes sense. So you're more into it just for the modding and the tutorials than, you know, trying to pull that side out of yeah, it. Yeah, my, my interest in the hobby is taking cool stuff and making cool stuff. I mean, I, I started it because I liked playing Game Boys, and it's kind of the hobby for me has evolved into I have more enjoyment modifying the Game Boy than I do actually playing it at this point. And I, I think I think I'm speaking for a lot of people. Yeah, but I mean, that's super important as well. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of people out there that enjoy that, but then they teach the people who are way more into the gaming side 
how to be able to get in and do the mods that they wanted to do without having to worry about any of this stuff. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm kind of the same way in that we both take one for the team and that we spend our time and get our enjoyment on on the instructional side of things and the testing side so that other people don't have to suffer through the stuff that we do. They can just skip to the end, figure out what they need and kind of go mm -hmm. from there. Yeah, it. I came to that realization that I should start documenting this stuff a little bit better when I looked at all of the, for example, backlight kits on the market and realized that at the time for the Game Boy Color mm -hmm. in specific, there were like six and I had all but one. And I realized that I was in somewhat of a unique position to say, hey, I like this one because it does this that this other kit doesn't do. Um, or maybe this particular kit has issues with the frame rate, something like that. I, I realized, you know, I could just buy one more kit and then I can compare every single one. And then, like I said, in the last couple of years, it's really exploded. So basically every few weeks I'm buying more Game Boys and more kits and stuff. And I don't know, a few years later, a few hundred videos later, that's what happens. So you buy up these Game Boys, uh, you do the mods on screen, and then you sell them when you're no, done? No, I have a drawer full of Game Boys. I have hundreds of Game Boys. It's becoming a real problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? I have. So you just have a just a large collection of Game Boys and stuff. Next to my desk, I have a box full of just Game Boys for parts and mods that I'll get to eventually. I'm sure but now yeah i i have i have hundreds of game boys i for almost every single mod i tend to take a new game boy out of my parts bin instead of taking a game boy that i already have um i don't know i i like mm -hmm. i like the idea of starting from scratch and uh i, I don't necessarily believe in like I don't mean to throw anyone under the bus here, but I see videos every now and then like ultimate 2021, 2022 builds, stuff like that, where people are just throwing every mod at something, um, you know, every possible thing they can cram into this console. I don't like doing that. I like taking one console, doing one mod, because I figure if people are looking to me, looking to my videos to learn how to do this, they're probably doing that too. And if nothing else, they can take my video on my backlight kit and then watch my video on like a battery mod or something and then just put the two together. Whereas if I'm doing a video on doing a backlight kit and a battery mod, you know, half the video is useless to some people who are interested in the battery mod or the backlight kit or something. So I don't know. I, I figure it's easier. Uh, it's certainly mm. not cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> No. And, you know, I do see both sides of that, though. Right. I see. Actually, I see three sides of that. I see the person that just, you know, they, they want to get back into this stuff or they want to experience it for the first time, but they don't want to have to deal with all the shortcomings of some of the aged parts. So they just want to bang it all out in one shot. And I also see the creator side of things where it's like, hey, if I'm going to have to get noticed, I have to have a clickbaity title and a clickbaity thumbnail and I have to have a reason for people to want to watch this video. Uh, so they throw that up there. And then I also 100% agree with you as well in that, you know, I do find a lot of these things 
even just even if you are the person that wants to do everything having separate documentation to go through it, it can be a huge help sometimes you know and with time stamping videos that's gotten a lot easier these days but still it's you know i, I kind of see all the different perspectives and i understand yeah, each one of them but i certainly appreciate how you go about doing this stuff too then because it just kind of gives people a step-by-step real-time way to see how each mod is performed through that and anything i think it's probably important to note that i do youtube as a hobby like i'm, I'm just uploading stuff to upload stuff mm -hmm. i'm i understand i could sit down edit my videos uh get better lighting get a better microphone stuff like that and it would improve the quality you know if i bring uh like i have videos that often range from like 45 minutes to an hour and a half if I look up any other YouTuber covering the same stuff, their videos like 10 to 15 minutes. We're doing the same amount of mm. work. I'm just not editing my video down. I understand, you know, I could I could put that extra work in, uh, put out a more polished video and it would be more appealing for most people. But there's already people doing that. I, I don't see the need to duplicate. I can... Whereas I can sit here, walk through every step that I think is appropriate. And there's some educational value in that. I already have a full-time job. I don't need to rely on YouTube um, ad revenue and stuff like that. It's, it's nice, don't get me wrong, but that's not what I'm out for. It's not what I'm after. Yeah, I actually think both are very helpful. And I'm very appreciative that there's both sides out there. Because for me, especially like, um, you know, I have so much stuff coming across my desk that I, I will do a mod on something or I'll, I'll work on something and a year will go by and I'll go, I've never seen that before in my life. And sometimes I Google it and my own videos come up or my own guides to teach you how to do it. So those 10 minute videos and, and or those, especially anything written where you could just scroll through, those are so great for people who kind of already know what they're doing or need to reference something they've already done. But on the flip side, those here's everything in real time as it's being done, you know, a slow step-by-step walkthrough are incredibly important for anybody who's doing it for the first time, anybody who's out of practice or anybody that's trying to pay attention to the little like tips and tricks and stuff. Cause it's, there's all of us as humans, when you get good at something, you don't even realize what it is that you're doing. Whereas somebody could walk over and be like, well, why are you holding your hand like that? And it's especially with, you know, I, I play guitar. So especially stuff like that, a couple of times people have been like, why do you hit the strings like that? And I'm like, cause that's how I play. And they're like, nobody plays like that, man. And I'm like, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, well, it's because I'm trying to get a sense of percussion on the strings as well. I never thought of it until somebody else pointed it out. And I, I guarantee there's so many people who watch your videos that whether they talk to you about it or not, you know, observe what you're doing and go, oh, I never thought about doing it that way. Or, you know, I never thought about doing it in that order or something that you might not even realize that you do. And it's just, you know, it's a big help. So I, I like long form. I like short form. And I'm just glad that there's a variety. But, you know, there's certainly plenty of times that I wish that I wasn't under the, uh, you know, the immense pressure of the algorithm. So I could just do things a little different. For the most part, I'm just kind of like middle finger up in the air. Let me do what I feel like, which is why my channel's grown so slowly. <laughs> I, I feel that, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, I uh, I completely, I completely, I respect all sides of that. So, what got you into to modding and, and into making videos in the first place? Uh when I started doing what I do, which is more or less just documenting mods, um, I 
took pictures. I would upload them to like Imager, put descriptions, do write-ups. And I got a few suggestions. Hey, you should just film this. It would be easier for everyone involved. And then I tried it and I got seemingly good reception to it. So I just did that instead. And they're right. It is a lot easier to uh, just sit there and film through the whole process than it is to, okay, screw this in, take a picture, attach this part, take a picture, go back, upload all that, you know, add descriptions for each picture. It, I, I see the merit in both. I personally like uh, short image guides that I could just scroll through and, and find exactly what I'm looking for. But I, I understand <laughs> that there's, there's two sides to that coin and more people find it more helpful and that seems to be that seems to be what i'm going for because i mean i'm I'm not sitting here documenting this stuff just to like flex on people like oh yeah i have i have hundreds of game boys no i i have i have wasted my money on hundreds of game boys because that's what hobbies are their their money sinks right their money and time sinks and this is my hobby i just I like doing mods and you know if it takes me a little bit of extra time to document it and help someone out then so be it that's what i want that's what i want to do yeah that makes sense you know for me personally if i had the time i would do both i and i wouldn't just take the script paste it as a a written thing and and add some screenshots i would want to i would want to present them both slightly different and have advantages of still pictures versus, uh, you know, video. Because especially with me and the comparisons that I do, all internet streaming compression destroys it. I can't tell you how heartbroken I am all the time when I do some, I mean, 40, 50 hours into a video. And I finally watch it on YouTube and I'm watching the premiere with everybody else. And I have two comparison shots that look identical. And I'm like, no! I spent two days making sure that was perfect. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, you just go on the website, you click on the PNG and it's like, even on your cell phone, you're like, oh yeah, I could totally see the difference. So it, I, I see the advantages to both, but, uh, but yeah, you're right. Most people prefer videos these days. So it just, you know, I, I think it's also a patience thing. It's so many times I'm just like, let's go skip to the end, skip to the end. I don't care, which is funny because in my own videos, I'm like, Hey, you have to know this stuff before I get to the end. So here's the ending of the video, but like, here's why you need to know this. And so I I just, I try to find a happy medium for everybody, but I, um, you know, I I think that you're good at what you do and you you know, it's just my opinion. Don't (laughs) listen to me. It's just my own thoughts on it, but you know, you're good at what you do and you should probably stick with the formula that's been working for you. But Hey, if you ever wanted to branch out and do written guides, you always have a place retro rgb and uh, you know the wiki and all that stuff too but yeah i think i think your videos are great for people that just kind of want to sit through these um where what was the origin in, in starting to mod though like when and where did that come about so i i think i can speak for most people who are interested in game boys as a hobby i i had one growing up i mm-hmm. still like i never i never got rid of it i kept it i bought or i i didn't buy it i was a kid I got a Game Boy Advance SP in the early 2000s, and I've had that for almost a decade at this, or two decades at this point. Um, but sometime a few years ago, I decided, you know, this thing's really beat up. Let's see what I can do to fix that. You know, most people go, oh, I'll just buy another one. And I thought, well, mm. I don't, I'd rather fix what I have than just 
get another one you know it seems wasteful and then years later i buy hundreds of game boys anyway but you know it's <laughs> it is what it is i still have that game boy i still like it but i don't know i just it, it triggered something in me when i when i fixed that thing i modified it i put a i put a huge battery in that thing um lessons learned on that by the way but that's another tangent for another time <laughs> so you want to talk a little bit about that what what kind of battery did you put in and why was it not a good uh, idea so this is the back of an sp notice how it is nice and flat on the bottom i made right. a uh, 3d printed battery cover that stuck out basically like this you know nice and nice and chunky and i filled that space with as much battery as i could possibly fill it with uh and then i realized that it didn't actually make me play my game boy more so mm. So you could have a 40-hour battery life if you wanted to, but at, you know you were still sitting there with the same length of an average session, which would mean that you would have time to charge it when you were done anyway, so kind of a moot Pretty point. Pretty much, yeah. Like, play for half an hour, an hour, two hours, whatever. It doesn't matter. At the end of that session, plug it in and charge it. There's no point in getting, in my opinion, there's no point in getting more than like four hours out of a console. I'm not going to sit down and play it for more than four hours out of I wish i had that kind of time but i simply don't these days yeah and on the flip side if you were going on a camping trip oh, yeah. or something like that it would be infinitely easier to get yourself one of those like charge packs to bring with you so that you know it, when your battery's running low in a couple of days you could just plug it into the battery charge pack rather than have to mod all of your devices and stuff mm -hmm. like that that's that's yeah, that's that when sense. i realized it's much more useful to get rid of the proprietary charge port and put something like USB-C on it rather than make it last longer mm. on battery. It's it's easier to just recharge the device when I'm not using it than it is to make it last longer. I, there's, there's more use, I think, in being able to recharge it easier than there is utility. There's more utility in being able to make it charge easier than being able to just get 40 hours out of a single charge. Agreed. And to be able to charge and play at the same time, because that's something that I'm sure all of us has run into where you go and, you know, you start playing your game and you're five minutes into it and then the battery light comes on and you realize you forgot to charge it. It's, you know, if you if you use Eneloops or anything like that, which is what I predominantly use, if you're in a game that doesn't have a save or if you're not near a save point, now you got to kill it. You know, you have to start from scratch. You just lost your five minutes. Whereas if it's like, oh, I forgot to charge it. All right, let me grab my USB cord, and then like nothing happens. That's an advantage. Um, but have you found any disadvantages of swapping the charge port out? Or is there anything that you lose? Has there, there been any challenges or anything like that? In the case of the SP specifically, uh, the only disadvantage I've found with swapping okay, that's not true. There's like two disadvantages I found with swapping out the charge port. Uh, one of them is that I primarily charge SPs with a dock. Like I just pick the thing up, okay. set it in the dock, move on. Can't do that mm -hmm. once you swap the charge port out because they don't make docks with that port. And if they did, it's it's not as smooth as just dropping it in the dock. USB-C, as much as we want it to, doesn't quite work that way. Just the alignment differences, the rigidity of the port, uh, the insertion force, stuff like that. 
but on the SP in particular, Nintendo opted to omit the headphone jack. So if you want headphones, of course I just have all this stuff on my desk because of who I am as a person. You have to use a dongle. <laughs> you plug the dongle into the charge port right. and then you can plug your headphones into the dongle. Nintendo was ahead of Apple on that one by a decade. And uh, <laughs> if you swap out the charge port, you lose that functionality. And I mean, there are USB-C mods uh, that you can, that have analog headphone functionality with yet another dongle. Um, but then you lose some USB-C compatibility. Uh, to avoid getting too technical, uh, USB-C has certain requirements, and unless your device is designed around those requirements, it won't be fully compatible almost no matter what you do. And the SP is no exception. Uh, if you use one of those like headphone uh, USB-C adapters, then you can't charge with a USB-C host because the SP can no longer negotiate voltages stuff like that so there are trade-offs most of the time for most people i think they're almost negligible uh, especially since we have both options now we have the USB-C that supports headphones and we have the USB-C that supports USB-C host charging and stuff like that uh so there are trade-offs but. So if it's the, just to be clear then, so if it's the USB-C mod that supports headphones, it's the exact same as the original that you could either be charging or listening to headphones at the same time, but not both. The, but you don't, you wouldn't lose the ability to use your headphones. It's just exactly like the original. Actually, there are, there are dongles for both. So on the original SP, hmm. this port uh, has separate pins for the headphones and the charge port. So there's nothing technically stopping you from being able to charge and use headphones at the same time, except that most dongles don't have a pass-through. Uh, right, that's what I was gonna say, is most of the adapters I've seen are just a headphone and obviously then just charger. So there's no technically. Isn't there more than enough room there to put both a 3.5 millimeter jack and a USB-C port? There's, it's just not feasible. There's. I don't know how long offhand uh, a three and a half millimeter jack is, but in the SP, there's like half as much vertical space. You have to put it in weird spots if you want to be able to get an internal jack and it doesn't really work out well. I, I ended up doing an SP mod uh, that I did that exactly. I put a three and a half millimeter jack in it and I can charge it and I can use the headphone jack and I can do both at the same time and it works. But I had to sit there basically milling out a shell with my Dremel just to get the thing to fit. And then the shell cracked almost immediately because there was no structural rigidity anymore. So then I did it again and then it right. broke again and I just kind of gave up on that. So it's technically possible i wonder if there'd be a way to do like a bluetooth audio internally so that you know you could just use a small chip and then connect some bluetooth headphones i've seen or that um my my personal opinion on the bluetooth audio mods is i don't really care for bluetooth headphones and i especially don't care for the lag that you get with bluetooth headphones yes that is 100 percent true yeah good point the sp just <laughs> It's not designed around Bluetooth, so there's no real way to compensate for that lag. And even if you do compensate, then you're getting input lag on all the controls, and it's 
Right. It's not like with more modern consoles where you could pull the audio as it's being written so that you could spit it out technically at the same time. Whereas, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. See, these are the, the conversations I always enjoy because I, I I love science when it's confined to something. Because it's like if you and I had a conversation of like, all right, well, what if we had infinite money and infinite time and we wanted to build a spaceship? Like, we could talk for days and not get anywhere. Or we could obsess over the color of the thrusters and how it's going to be shaped like a dick because <laughs> all rockets are shaped like a dick or something. But like, <laughs> when, you, when you have the confines of something like, all right, there's a Game Boy Advance SP. We, here's all the things we want to do to it, but it has to still be a Game Boy Advance SP at the end of the day. Uh, that Those are some really interesting conversations because you, you really have to f- use some creativity. It, you know, it's not just brute force hardware modding. You have to be creative in figuring out ways around this stuff. And some of the ways the communities have found for all of these mods are, are pretty ingenious and brings a side out of the hardware that... Um, you know, I don't even think Nintendo devs would have ever expected, especially back then when it was released. Yeah, it's really fascinating stuff. I, I've, it's funny you bring that up. I, I've actually thought about stuff like that, just straight up taking the SOC off the motherboard, designing my own board mm-hmm. with all of the features that I want, and then dropping that on there. Um, there, there's nothing stopping anyone from doing that these days. There's enough leaked documents there's one thing <laughs> stopping everybody there's one very big thing stopping everybody fpgas so five six years ago if you were to do that everybody who loved the game boy advance not casual users but everybody who loved it would buy your product and you'd probably implement tv out and you know maybe you could tap the audio as it's going through the chip and have bluetooth or something like that whatever it is that's totally awesome, but now you could recreate that on an FPGA and have it be incredibly close to the original. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, do you buy a, uh, you know, I mean, when they're back in stock in 2029, do you buy an analog pocket or do you, you know, for the same price or, or less than it would cost to, to have that entire, you know, reimagining? And there's definitely people out there that still love original hardware. I'm... For me, the consoles that are my favorites, yes, I would absolutely buy something like that. But for the stuff that I'm not, you know, not my favorite consoles, I'd probably stick with originals just as they are. But, uh, I mean, is that something you've actually looked into? Have you looked into the schematics and looked into reverse engineering the board and stuff like that? There are a few people in the community who've already put in that work. They've done a phenomenal job. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know how... I don't know how into the Game Boy community you or or your audience are going to be, but... There's a gentleman by the name of Gekio, G-E-K-K-I-O. He's put a lot of work into reverse engineering a lot of the Game Boy models. So thanks to him, we have full schematics for basically every Game Boy model, except for some of the more esoteric ones uh, that didn't receive a wide release. And best part is he's working on that. He's not done yet. Uh, So... We absolutely can That's do crazy. That. I believe we've covered his work yeah. before, actually. Yeah. Phenomenal, phenomenal dude. Um, makes Does a lot of good work. And I, I'm glad we have someone like that because I reverse engineering a board, it's, it's not necessarily a simple task, but it is definitely tedious and it is, it is definitely difficult. No, it's the amount of work that has to go into reverse engineering a board. 
I I'm envious. I mean, it's it's good, and I I love that we have that now to use. And he's just published it free for anyone to use. You can just go to his GitHub, uh, pull up the schematics, and then you have a full PDF of everything neatly organized. You have the power subsystem, the LCD power subsystem, the cart bus charge system, all, all that just broken down neatly. It's great. Um, I. I'm sorry. I, I, I was grinning like mad when you were mentioning that FPGA stuff because I, I knew the analog pocket was coming up and I wouldn't mind talking more about that. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, let's hear so, your thoughts. Do you have one? Have you used it yourself? They're kind of hard to get. Uh, I don't, I, I don't yeah. know if you've noticed. Uh, no. Um, analog announced the pocket a few years ago and then they opened up pre-orders and they weren't shipping for like a year, their original estimate. And I wasn't really comfortable dropping the money now for a console I might get in a year, which I feel slightly vindicated mm. because it did end up getting delayed a few times, but I still can't get one. And then I placed another pre-order and I have no idea when that's coming. So... <laughs> That's probably going to get delayed again. I have no idea when it'll ever arrive. I'm sure it will eventually. But I, I like what they're doing on yeah, paper. But... I can't say I like what they're doing because I don't actually have one to play with. But um, I, I love the idea. It's fantastic. Like Even just from a cost perspective, if you're looking at putting all of the features that that console has into a Game Boy, it's just it's straight up the better device to just get the analog pocket. It's for starters, it's cheaper, but everything is integrated from the ground up. They built it. Okay. We're, we already know we're using a backlight, a backlit screen because for context, original Game Boys didn't have backlights in their screens. They're just passive reflective displays. Um, you know, they build it from the ground up knowing, okay, we want video out support over HDMI. We want external controller support. We want, Bluetooth support we want. Uh, did I already mention video out? It, it, stuff like that. But if you want all of those features, there's no way to put all of that stuff into a Game Boy and be under $300. And then the analog pocket's only 320 with the dock, I guess. But you know what I mean. It's it's. No, I totally understand what you mean, yeah. For the actual like end experience, if you're actually using it to play games and not just like sticking it on your shelf, which is, to be honest, what I would do probably. <laughs> um, I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with emulation as long as it's good emulation. And the analog mm. pocket is basically the same thing. I mean, they say it's not emulation, but it's not a Nintendo chip in there. So as long as the code is yeah. good. Uh, the easiest way to describe that to people who don't really understand what an FPGA is, and I mean this with respect, of course, but hardware emulation, software emulation. So software emulation, you have an operating system uh, first that talks to the hardware layer, and then you have drivers and other software on top of that, and then you have the emulator that makes the console go back and talk to those other things. So there's a lot more room for lag and error, whereas hardware emulation, 
you have a chip called an FPGA that like imagine Terminator 2, you know, this thing turns into another thing. And as long as you programmed it correctly to turn into another thing, it's pretty damn awesome. And you could skip a lot of those things that you would get from software emulation. So, you know, the deep technical people roll their eyes and want to punch me in the face when I use that analogy. But everybody else is like, that's fair. That's a good way to visualize no, I, it. <laughs> I think it's I think it's the way to go. Um, like, just consider this to put a backlight into a Game Boy, a backlit screen. We need to use an FPGA anyway, because the Game Boy does not talk to the screens that have backlights. We need to use a device in between mm. the Game Boy and the screen to tell the two to talk to each other. So I think it just, it makes more sense to omit the Game Boy entirely and just use the FPGA, because as long as the code is good enough, you know, you, you put both of them in a black box, hook them up to a TV, hand someone a controller, as long as the code's good enough, they should be indistinguishable. And you can take a lot of, I don't mm. want to say shortcuts because that has the wrong connotation, but they are more or less shortcuts. Like you don't, for the same example, putting a backlight into a Game Boy, a backlit screen into a Game Boy, you need that FPGA anyway. Whereas if you are coding the FPGA directly, you can just tell it instead of talking to the original screen that the Game Boy is designed for, you just code it to talk to the better screen that you want to use. And you don't have those extra steps that you have to take in hardware. You just have it talk directly. It's it's fewer steps to take. I don't know. I I'm I don't feel like I'm using the proper words to explain what I'm trying to get at, but I, I think I'm still getting there. No, I think you do. I, I think you just I think you nailed it. I think it's you know there's a group of people who's, uh, you know, not a large group of people that say if you've modded a console in any way, it's no longer the original console. And I agree with that from a nerd perspective of ones and zeros, a technical analysis. Yeah, that, that's true. But from a gamer's perspective, it it's the same thing as the original, just enhanced a little bit. What is interesting is when you get into scenarios of handhelds that it takes about, an, you know, one full frame to or, or more than one frame you know usually like one or two frames of latency from a button press to action on the screen but you replace that screen with a newer one and that two frames becomes one so you're actually getting a slightly faster experience so is that good is that bad does it matter so you know there's the philosophical discussion about that but but you're right in that if you're using an FPGA anyway at what point does it stop being the original console? And I, I think that that's different every time. Like those um, NES the soundtracks that basically are an MP3 player that play the sound through the pass-through pins on your NES. Like, that's not using... That, that's basically passing through and using the NES as sound amp. That's not... You know, it's cool and it's neat and it's a fun idea, but it's not original hardware. But then you get things like, you know... Um, people designing their own custom mappers. So it's still 100% using the NES's hardware, just piggybacking on something new, which is what Nintendo did back in the day with all of their cartridges past a certain point. So that still is totally using original hardware. And the only discussion worth having is really just a fun, positive one of what you what people's opinions are on, on all of this stuff. So yeah, I think you nailed the description and I think it's a fun conversation to have too. 
but how far do you go in a mod before it's no longer the original? I guess for me, if the CPU and you know and PPU and a lot of these um, scenarios is original and no nothing is taken away from it you're not adding 10 frames of lag because you did a a bluetooth controller and you know and a terrible video mod like those people that glue in those scarred to <laughs> hdmi adapters <Ugh>. but <laughs> you know as long as you don't take away from the experience and it's the original main proprietary chips then it's still original hardware is that kind of what your opinion is on that or do you have a different perspective i, I think there's two frames of thought when it comes to that and depending on the specific hardware i might be on one side or the other um from a collecting perspective i don't touch my consoles that i consider collector's items so of course there's there's always like the mm. rare limited editions with the cool shell and stuff like that i don't i i typically don't modify those uh everything else everything is fair game in my opinion if you're having fun i think that's the only part that matters who cares whether it's an official console if it plays the game better like if all you want is to play the game does it matter if you're using an original nintendo cpu or if you're using an fpga i personally don't think it matters at all if your end goal is to play the game and have fun from a gamer's perspective i agree a hundred percent in that if you're if the experience isn't changed, so you have an accurate FPGA, a really good software emulator, then yes. Uh, from a hardware nerd's perspective, while I still am going to say it's an awesome experience, it's not original hardware sure. though, and that's nothing other than a label. It doesn't mean it's better or worse. It doesn't mean you should shame people for not using original hardware. It's just this, you know, that's just it, my it's different, and that's that fine. And I, I don't think there's mm. anything wrong with having a different opinion. Um, no, I, I mean. If the hobby for you is playing original hardware, that's fine. If the hobby for me is getting the best experience out of the games, that's fine too. We will take two completely different approaches to do that, but we're both enjoying the hobby, and I think that's the important part. Yeah. And I do, I do like both sides. And I also do love, you know, friends with differences of opinions and stuff. And I think your, uh, your opinion on not modding rare consoles, I, I'm the same way, although I will do preventative maintenance. So like, I'm lucky enough to have a CDX. So I had my friend do a full cleaning and a recap because I trust his skills more than mine. Uh, and then there's one thing on the CDX where if, um, there's the spindle on the end could actually slowly wear through the motherboard. <laughs> so I had him put just a piece of black tape. That's all you really need to prevent it. It's not like a, it's not like on the super graphics where, you know, it's really digging in. It's, you know, it's just some more preventative, but it's not, but that's preventative maintenance and basic stuff. But, you know, I know some people that don't even want to do that. They want to just leave it completely alone. And on the flip side, I know people that are so proud to have their rare console. Like, a, you know, they were the only person to have a Wonder Mega with a triple bypass custom installed in it. And, you know, and that's cool. There's no wrong answer to any of this stuff. It's whatever makes you happy. But, you know, I actually like the contrast of opinions in here and all the, the people's different reasons for doing or not doing so something. let me actually that that. That brings up something I saw a few months ago. Uh, I browse auction sites because of who I am as a person. Uh, <laughs> and I, I stumbled across a rare variant of a Game Boy Light. Brand new inbox. Everything's original. Nothing's been touched. The thing hasn't even been opened other than to take auction pictures, it looked like. 
the original batteries were still in the box. <laughs> Those started leaking years ago. Okay. <laughs> so yes. Yes. original is nice, but if you leave it alone long enough, it's going to eat itself away. And, and there's only so much you can do. Yeah. I think, I think there are exceptions, universal exceptions that we can make for stuff like that. Or um, like the original Xbox console, the first few motherboard revisions are known for their defective clock cap- capacitor. And if you keep using the console after that clock capacitor has failed, the electrolyte's going to seep out of the capacitor and eat away at the motherboard. Eventually, it's going to stop working. And since we're going on 20-some-odd years, chances of that having already failed in your console are pretty high. So, yeah. oh, yeah, it's cool. I have an original Halo Special Edition. Sure, but if you don't open it up and fix that capacitor... You're not going to have an original Halo Special Edition very much longer. Um, unless, yeah, you know, if you just keep it on a shelf, fine, that's one thing. But if you want it to actually, if you want to preserve it, if you want to actually use the console, there is preventative maintenance items that you have to do. And unfor- unfortunately, that is a uh, gray area, I think. And no, no one's happy about it, but... It is what it is. Yeah, I mean, that's an an age-old debate with collectors, though, because I remember specifically when Death of Superman came out, the comic, and uh, I used to, when I was a kid, I liked comics, I, and I liked collecting them more than I reading them, which I guess is just a metaphor for everything <laughs> I freaking do, but um, I remember being, being able to pick up Death of Superman for, like, 25 bucks, and I think my family thought it was crazy because they're like, that's a $2 comic. What are you spending all that money on it for? I thought it was really neat, and I put it in like a special jumbo mylar. And then there was the debate of if you don't open it up, the bag that it came in will slowly start to degrade the comic itself. So do you open it up and put that in a mylar and and save it? Do you leave it sealed? Do you like what do you do? And I honestly I don't remember what I did with it to be honest with you. I think I opened it up because I was just so curious to see what was inside it. And then I very carefully mylar everything separately, and and I don't. I think I just sold it, you know, early two thousands when I got rid of all that stuff. But, but yeah, it was just you know, I just even as a little kid, I remember that. Like, do you change something that's all original? And what if you have to? And when do you make that decision? And so it, it's kind of the age old debate with with collectory things like that. Yeah, no, I totally get it, and I I don't know the answer to that. Um, I know with my personal consoles, I tend not to buy like pristine examples new in box stuff like that so it just hasn't really come up for me but i know that there Mm. are people in the hobby who do that sort of stuff and i don't know what the correct answer is i don't know if there ever is a real correct answer but i think i think it's going to be common sense like could you imagine stumbling across like a never driven 69 camaro and you go well i'm not going to change the oil because it's original oil like okay you're going to blow up your engine then like what the hell are you I, doing i'm not going to so put new tires on you know it, these are the original tires and then you right, have no exactly anywhere you, you just literally can't drive yeah. it yeah because the tires have just turned to to rock yeah no i yeah, it's the age-old debate for stuff like that, but uh, you know, I think there's got to always be a happy medium, and I'm I'm completely comfortable 
doing preventative maintenance and, uh, you know, especially stuff like take the batteries out of everything that has a, ba- a removable battery in it. It's just so many horrifying pictures. My friend Jose just posted a picture yesterday, I think, of a CPS2 where the battery had exploded, exploded, and the motherboard underneath was gone. It was completely eaten away. And it even had spread over to the chips of or the pins of one of the main chips and started to eat away at that too. So it was those are pretty horrifying. Have you have you come across any used handhelds that you've bought that are just like nightmares on the inside with stuff like that? I have tried to be really careful to avoid that. That doesn't always happen. Um, mm. I, I have, I have, I have though. Uh, I, I showed off my Uh-oh. my bin. Um, I don't know how that ended up on top of that. I have a bag full of Game Boy Advance parts. If you look closely, you might notice mm. that there is at least one part of a motherboard not a whole motherboard. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a piece of a board there that looks like you trimmed it off. Yeah, so I, I have encountered some stuff that it's not it's not savable, and it's the way it is. So was that battery leakage, or was that capacitor leakage? That particular one was um, a failure that someone tried modding it, and they messed it up worse than was possible to feasibly recover for what it's worth that particular game boy i did end up fixing um i don't know if you've seen this but i trimmed down a a game boy motherboard that's what those parts are from i trimmed down the game boy to this big um redid all the circuitry on my own all the circuitry that i cut off and it's fully functional now i mean i haven't put it in anything it's sitting in a frame because i think it's neat but uh, I, I've come across Game Boys um, in particular battery leakage, uh, alkaline batteries. People store their Game Boys with the batteries in it. That I mean, we're all guilty of this. You put batteries in the thing. You don't know that you're not going to use it for the next two years. You think, oh, I'll use it tomorrow. And then two years pass by and... It's just been sitting there with batteries in it, um, especially when we're kids. These are, at the end of the day, these were, for better or worse, children's toys. They were designed for children. Children aren't really known for taking care of their things. So I come across a lot of Game Boys with corrosion on the motherboard for as a result of improper storage. And sometimes they're fixable. A lot of times they're not, depending on how bad it is. Mm. best thing we can do at that point is just use them for parts to fix other stuff agreed so um do you do a lot of the uh, miniaturization of these things and, and motherboard trimming or is that was that just kind of one or two of the projects that, that you was worked on basically just a one-off uh, it was uh i have a board that i'm sure i can fix if i cut out all of the damaged circuitry um for context, that particular board, um, someone had tried like replacing the caps, but they mm-hmm. didn't desolder them properly, and they lifted pads. And with those pads, you know how if, if you keep peeling, eventually you keep getting more and more of the trace. There was a lot of trace missing. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I could have fixed it, but it would have never been 
original, you know, it would have always had this mess of bodge wires on it. So I decided, you know, let's, let's just cut it up and see what happens. I, I don't normally do that. That's awesome. But I don't seem like a good idea. Um, did you do that for proof of concept or did you mount that in a smaller case with a smaller screen or something like that? I more or less just proof of concept. I haven't done anything with it. Like I said, I, I just shoved it in a frame and then put it on display because I just think it's neat that I have a Game Boy that is now this big and the screen is this big. So the whole thing just hides behind the screen. It just looks like a screen with a battery hanging off of it. I, I, don't know, I just think it's neat. Um. I also <laughs> think it's neat. <laughs> I'm definitely going to link to one of those. You should talk to one of the, the 3D printing gurus that we have in the community and see if they could just try to make something around that so you could have yourself a miniature Game Boy or something, which would be funny because it would be like the same size as the cartridge at that point. It, it is. Whatever. I think My limiting <laughs> factor, I couldn't cut it smaller because the cartridge itself is so big. And unless I made custom cartridges for it, I, that, that was my limiting factor um i mean i've i've That's considered making a case for it doing all this sort of stuff it just at some point it felt like the effort that i was putting in was more was worth more than the reward and i felt like it would be more fruitful to i don't know just keep it as a neat conversation piece as is and work on other stuff so that's what i did no that's totally fair you know, I like to see, I love, always love to see projects like that. And uh, somebody I know talked about years ago, and they never did it because it's an insane amount of work, but basically reverse engineering the EverDrive uh, master system and then just making the SG-1000 version of it so that way you could, now obviously this is talk about proof of concept only. You would have to buy the EverDrive. You'd have to use heat to get all of the parts off of that. And then you'd have to resolder them onto this new board, hoping that you got it all right, and then go from there. So it's not stealing Crix's design. You're still buying it. You're still using his firmware and all that stuff. But I just, I I thought it was funny because to pay somebody to do that, you would end up having like a $500 SG-1000 cartridge where it's like, all you have to do is buy a $30 adapter and stick it right on top and it's the same thing or, or in back for some of those. But so, yeah, I think a, a a much nicer adapter would be the proper answer to that. But I still thought it was pretty funny and, and a neat thing that anybody who has like a, a Japanese SMS would, would probably be interested in just for looks. <laughs> I So funny you mentioned that. When I cut that Game Boy apart, I I use it as a learning opportunity to you know kind of figure out how the circuit works, figure out exactly what I need to get the thing working. And then, you know, like I said, I did start working on... Uh, a replacement for that so I could take that console and make it functional again. Uh, I got as far as completely reverse engineering one of the backlight kits. So for context, the backlight kits, they're usually on a separate PCB that you then just plug into the Game Boy through the screen connector. I reverse engineered that so that I could take the chips off of that, take the chips off the Game Boy, just put it all on a custom board, and then I was going to slap it together and make a custom case for it. And then at that point, I took a step back, realized what I was doing. I just, I don't know. I, I felt like working on something, putting that much effort into something that is just infeasible for anyone else to recreate. You know, it's, it, it'd be neat. Sure. I, I could, you know, get myself plenty of, 
upvotes, I guess, you know, posting something like that, uh, plenty of <laughs> likes, whatever, you know, platform. Um, but I, I stopped when I had completely reverse engineered the backlight kit. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? I could just buy another backlight kit, plug it in. And it's, you know, that takes five minutes. Whereas reverse engineering the backlight kit, designing my own custom board, all that stuff, that's, that's days, weeks, months worth of work. And I don't know, it's, it's neat. And I respect the hell out of people that do. Oh, have you seen the um, gentleman by the name of Red Herring? He's really into the original hmm. Nintendo stuff. Have you seen his tiny Tendo? Yeah, and that was the same person that reverse engineered the top or the front loading motherboard, right? I think so, right? yeah. He has his own... Uh, yeah, I, I actually have an interview scheduled with him at some point, too, to be honest. I just, uh, uh, there's so many awesome people I want to talk to. I just have to find time to get to all of them. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I hope to have a chat with him at some I, point soon. I just think like that, that creation is so phenomenal. He took the chips off the Nintendo Entertainment System, cut them down to the bare die, and then he solders the bare die to the board because, you know, the chip is this big, the die is this big. He can make it a lot smaller, just by cutting the chips in half. And I, I just think that's so fascinating. That's such a cool thing to do, but it's just it's so much work for very minimal payoff. Yeah, I think the line for me personally, I'm not trying to say this is what you're supposed to do, but for my own opinion, it's uh, Mateus and the reverse engineered Game Gear motherboard. Um, and, you know, you still have to desolder the chips using hot air from your current Game Gear, which is not easy. But and I think there's a few other parts that you have to uh, currently swap over as well. But at the end of the day, if you already have the tools and you've done stuff like that before, it's about the same time as, as uh, if not shorter than cleaning up and recapping a leaked, exploded mm -hmm. game gear. So it's if you already have the skills to do it, there's no reason to do anything else. Whereas you know, if you're a noob getting into this stuff, you know who knows what the right move would be. So that's about my line. But taking that chip, cutting the case <laughs> off of it, removing the inside of it, and you know those those hair small connections on the inside, individually connecting those. I think that's more of like a proof of concept, you know, nerd flexing type of thing to do. And that's not really something I'd be into, especially too. like, I, I wonder how fragile that is. Like when you're done, do you have to essentially glob top it so that, you know, uh, so that nothing ever shifts? And, and what happens if everything's perfect, you test it, you go to glob top it. And then when you do, it shifts mm -hmm. just a fraction of a millimeter. And now you can't get the glob top off anymore. So that's uh that's one of those things where it's like somebody like red herring has done that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But not yeah. me. <laughs> I would screw that up so badly. I mean, I'm sure he's going to build one, maybe two, and then that'll be the end of it. I mm -hmm. don't think anyone's going to try and follow in his footsteps as cool as it is. I'd love to do something like that, but it's just like at the end of the day, there's it's a passion project and it's cool as hell, but I, I don't, mm. I don't think my passion extends that far. I respect the hell out of the people who can do that stuff, but I, I don't know. There, there's there's other stuff yeah. I think I'd rather play with in the meantime. I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. The closest I get to stuff like that is when I break the pin off a chip and I have to send it to one of my friends who's better than me to dremel it down and then add you know a new connection from there manually. But even that is definitely outside of my skill level. Or, or it's right at the line to the point where I don't want to risk 
now destroying the chip on a 50-50 chance. So I would just pass that along to people who are better. Yeah, for... Maybe that's one of those things where I gotta go find, like, an old toaster or something <laughs> that's useless and, you know, take out those and start practicing on that just to see if I could do it. But I certainly wouldn't want to use video game hardware for it. I am a big proponent of solder practice kits and that might be a good use case for that too. Take a solder practice kit, try breaking a pin off one of the ICs on one of those things and try fixing it. If you don't fix it... It's actually it's a great idea because yeah. that's the purpose of it, essentially, is to break it and if fix it. If you don't fix so. it, you're out the few dollars it costs you for the otherwise useless doodad. And if you do fix it, well, now you have a new skill. Hmm. Are there any tips that you would give to people that you know that wanted to practice on stuff like this or, or any things that you did coming up that really helped? I see a lot of people jumping into the hobby and they see people like me who can just solder something, you know, in, in 30 seconds. They or reassemble, take something apart and reassemble it blindfolded, that sort of thing. And they they go into it looking at me doing that as easily as, as I am, and they think, oh, there's there's no skill involved in this. I can I can go in and do that myself. And then they quickly get in over their head because they don't realize that this sort of thing requires practice. So to, to give yeah. a practical example, as I'm sure you know, there are plenty of games that are very valuable. Um, on Game Boy in particular, the Pokemon series, highly sought after uh, Emerald itself, Pokemon Emerald, it's like an $80 game right now, I think. And it's probably gone up. But mm. those games have a battery in it because they have a clock. People buy those because they want to play the game. They realize the battery's dead, and then they learn how to solder by replacing the battery in that game. And it doesn't always go well. Uh, so that that's that's what I mean. I, I always try and steer people towards the solder practice kit instead of, you know, learning how to solder on your fifty-five dollar Game Boy and your sixty-dollar backlight kit. Or you could spend a couple of dollars get a solder practice kit maybe realize that oh this is as easy as it looks or maybe this isn't for me you know that that sort of thing it's it's much easier solder practice they're they're disposable the game boys i don't consider disposable. i'm gonna have to get a link for one that you recommend because the advice that i've been giving people is find a piece of electronics that was about to go in the garbage anyway but a lot of people don't have that especially if you were like me and you lived in manhattan for five or six years there's no room for a pile of stuff that you're eventually going to throw out you know it's so yeah i think that's a great idea and you know that's unfortunately that weird ego dunning kruger thing is just a human trait and i think have you ever have you ever gone into a karaoke bar and seen somebody who's never sang before think they're going to be the next Freddie Mercury or Beyonce or something? It's uh, one of the main reasons why I never ever ever go to karaoke bars because there's three every night and uh, they just no one has the heart to tell them that they're terrible and they don't have the you know the self awareness to realize that not only are they terrible, how on earth could they think that they would just walk into a bar, pick up a microphone, and be perfect without ever practicing? Mm-hmm. So there's yeah, you know, it's no there's... different. A certain amount of skill involved some people can pick it up some people require the practice to pick it up uh but either way it comes it comes down to you should probably learn on something that you can consider disposable and not something that is like a, a rare or valuable item um 
I have as some sort of weird fetish, I guess, I have a collection of pictures uh, of just failed mods that people have done. And there's an embarrassing amount of pictures in my collection, but it's it's the same story. Like, hey, yeah. I just bought this new game. I tried replacing the battery and now solder won't stick to this pad. What's going on? It's, well, the pad's gone. That's why there's no solder sticking to it. Uh, stuff like that over and over and yeah it's sad to see but somebody takes an automotive soldering iron puts it on the board and burns the pad right off and then they blame somebody else for the for the your mod board's garbage uh no no you essentially just took a flamethrower to light a candle so that's on you buddy (laughs) for context the games for game boy are this big uh the chips Hmm. are stacked the battery, well, Game Boy Advance, the original Game Boy games are twice as big, but they're still small. The chips are stacked. Uh, so you have the mass ROM chip, and then right over that, you have the battery. So if you aren't quite, if you're not paying enough attention, if you aren't 100% sure of what you're doing, you know, you're not familiar with the equipment, that sort of thing, it's really easy to get solder on places there shouldn't be extra solder. You bridge pins so on and so forth. And as someone who is new to soldering, um, clearing bridged pins is difficult. There is a lot mm. of uh, experience required to be able to do something like that. Um, I, I'm sure you know Voltar. Uh, I, I've seen plenty of his videos. You know, He just goes in, throws a bunch of flux on the board, drags his soldering iron across, and then it's done. And that's fantastic i love it i love watching that sort of stuff but unfortunately people see that and don't realize that there's context to that he's been doing this for years probably even decades so he knows what he's doing i it's the same for me i've been doing this such a long time i don't realize that hey i'm doing something because this is i i'm used to it i know how to do it and i'm showing something that's maybe necessarily a bad practice I don't realize that until later I get tons of people in the comments saying, hey, I tried doing what you did. I lifted six pads. Yeah, (laughs) that's something you have to be very, very self-aware of. And that's why, you know, a a lot of people complain. A a lot of people that I, you know, I talk too much, I ramble, I repeat the same thing. But I would would take any day of the week, a hundred comments saying, we're tired of you hearing, hearing you say, be careful when you work on CRTs, you could die. I'd rather get that all day, every day than have one person say, I went to the hospital because I, you know, I saw one of your videos talking about modding a CRT and uh, shocked myself. So it's one of those things where I just try to always uh, just burn it into people's brains. And that's one of the things that uh, that's actually one of the biggest complaints Zach gets is that, you know, sometimes he'll remember to be like, anybody could do this with practice. And sometimes he just says, anybody could do this. <laughs> you know, it's just that simple mm-hmm. or something. So, you know, he forgets to to remind everybody that it took years and years and years to get to that point that you guys are at. And it's not just a matter of somebody could buy a, a soldering iron. And that's actually why um, one of my favorite videos I've ever done is he and I made fun of all of my bad mod work. So there was no guilt there. I'm not shaming anybody other than myself. If you have a problem with me shaming myself, you could fuck right <laughs> off, <laughs> whatever. And we went through and we didn't just talk about why it was bad. I also talked about why I thought I should do it that way 
from a beginner's perspective at the time because this was you know from mods from 10 years ago when i hadn't touched a soldering iron in 10 15 years or something and i loved that because it wasn't just us making fun of me which i do like that anyway but it it really was designed to help people because you could so easily have never done something like this before and walk into one of these situations and be like well you know i guess this makes sense not realizing that it's like the worst possible thing you could do in the moment. So I enjoyed that one a lot. And I just, um, you know, I, I do hope everybody feels welcomed and feel like this is something they can do as long as they realize that, you know, much like the uh, Beyonce karaoke reference, you can't just walk in and grab the mic. You actually got to pre- prepare yourself, train yourself and, and do the work. I, I like that you mentioned like critiquing your older stuff. I've looked at some of my older mm. videos and I've cringed at some of the stuff I've done. I mean, I'm I'm not going to sit here and start taking down videos because I did something really stupid. I mean, I, I can try and put disclaimers up as much as, you know, as much as possible, but there there is a learning experience to that. If I do something stupid and I mess up, I'm not going to cut it out of video. I'm going to show how to fix it. And I, I think that's more right. important because I show, yeah. hey, if you do it like me, you're probably going to mess up, but it's not the end of the world. Here's how we can work on that. And I, I think that's more valuable than just showing, you know, zip and flux on the board, zip, and then you're done. I, I don't know. It's, I, I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to critique anyone or anything like that. I just, I, I think there's value in learning from mistakes more so than there is in just showing the proper way to do it i think if that makes sense yeah you know when i do when i do any video that's like a fancier video with higher production i try to just make it as short as possible not for the algorithm believe it or not but because i just want to keep people's attention but all of my live streams especially all the technical ones like i'll tell people like i'll put out a tweet that says you probably don't want to join this live stream because it's going to be really boring and nerdy but if you do jump on in and the people who do join those are there for that exact reason they want to see the process you know they want to be at work you know half paying attention to their job half paying attention to me or something like that and they want to see like well why did this not work? What happened? Oh, wow. You could plug that in. I didn't know that either. Let's like, you know, let's learn this together. And that's, so I really appreciate both sides of that. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things where I, I, the, the most, uh, how could I word this? The biggest leaps in learning for me are usually when I screw something up because mm-hmm. not only do I have an understanding of what to do, I have an understanding of what not to do. And the why comes naturally. Cause once you know what, you know the the right and the wrong then you start to see the whole picture so yeah i'm I'm on your page with that one as well that's certainly how i learn but depending on the content i'm trying to make it could go either way as far as you know showing the mistakes or yeah not. no i'm believe me i love when everything just goes off without a hitch you get everything done step a to z not a single problem but there's there's value in messing up and i think that's part of the process which goes back to the solder practice kit thing you know those are built to mess up. If you mess that up and you learn mm. from it, then you've still gotten your money's worth out of it. You know, that's something that you might want to look into to building. So maybe, uh, do you design your own PCBs as well? Yeah. So look into designing a PCB that has the basics of everything that you would want um, to practice on. 
and you know uh, going to that way you could just upload the files on github or something for free upload the gerbers sell them yourself if you want but that way people can go to like jlc pcb drop that zip file in have three or five whatever show up on their door and now they have vias there that go to nothing but now you know now you could figure out how to put wires through and solder to a via now you can practice you know can I do it without flux? You know, yeah, but if I use flux paste, that's the best for this one. But okay, now we're going to have pins that are all right next to each other. And then find yourself a chip that's super cheap, that doesn't really do anything, that's like, you know, 10 cents, and then have people learn how to drag solder across those. And I bet you if you put together kits, you know, and they were like $20 kits or something, I think people would really buy those. And if you you put up the bill of materials and put up the Gerber files on open source, you know, people, depending on where they're located, it might be way cheaper to just buy the parts themselves. But I, you know, the more you talk about this, the more I start to see something like that as, as ridiculously helpful. You know, you could just stick up, um, you know, links to the, your, the equipment that you like to use and stuff like that and, and really get people pointed in the right direction. Because I, I think that, you know, now that you're talking about this and now that we're talking this out, I think that would be a, a huge leap forward for people's skill set. If they don't have to hunt down, you know, a, a broken piece of electronics, they don't have to get a generic solder practice kit and hope that they have the right type of things. Like, are there vias? Are there things that I drop a chip on top to on top of like for with the Super Nintendo uh, mini RGB mod? You know, I, I think that's pretty cool. You might even be able to make up flex cables that go nowhere. And then just, you know, have them have them go right over. So when people are done soldering chip A on with their tiny little pins, they could then drop the flex cable over and learn how to add a flex to that. So now they've essentially learned how to do a, you know, the N64 digital mod or something without knowing it. So, you know, if you have time, I, I would really love to see that. And of course, do a video <laughs> on it, show everybody how to use it. I, I think that would be, uh, I think that would be such a, a huge thing for people that could just, you know, there's no guilt you're buying something that's designed to break so that you could learn on it. And, you know, you could buy five of them for $5, including shipping, <laughs> and have it just appear at your door. So, yeah, if you had time, I think that would be awesome. And especially somebody like you with the experience that you have doing a lot of these things, you would know what to put on that board for people to practice on. That is a really good idea. I'm going to look into that. I like that. I have those now and then. <laughs> most, most of my ideas are not good. Most of my ideas are like, wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and text Mike Chi. Like, dude, what if you could scale the moon? <laughs> All right, man, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Like, you know. <laughs> but yeah, occasionally I got a good one. But as you were talking about that, that really clicked in my head. I think that would be something that modders, beginner modders would love. Um, and if it's an open source project, that means, you know, if you have somebody that's an expert in dc digital installs they could just be like hey mako why don't you add this pattern to it as well so people could you know learn how to do this or something so i think that'd be a very cool thing for the community a hundred percent yeah i'm totally into that i uh all right well uh we've done we've done an hour uh is there you know it's very cool getting to know you but i have a feeling that i'm going to be doing a follow-up video with you in a couple months to talk about your new solder practice kit designed for retro gaming or something uh so is there anything before we go that you know that i forgot to ask you or things that you would like to just talk about and, and tell the community oh now you're putting me on the spot uh no i i i don't know <laughs> man i i enjoyed talking talking with you i enjoyed hashing some stuff out but 
I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have anything else to add, I guess. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll close it out for you then. Uh, I will put links on where you could find Mako and all of the right places, uh, how you could support even if it's just by subscribing and all of that stuff. Um, and you know, this was, I, I enjoyed the hell out of this. So we're, we're definitely going to do another one of these again at some point soon. And, uh, you know, uh, that, if you think of anything to talk about then, that's cool. I don't feel like I put you on the spot an hour after the interview started. I didn't just hit record and was like, all right, what's the answer <laughs> to the, you know, to the mystery of life or something like that. But yeah, so uh, we'll definitely do this again soon. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll make sure to link to everywhere people Thanks, can find appreciate you. appreciate it. Thanks. What do you think of Mako Soldering? Who the fuck is Mako? <laughs> Who the fuck is Mako? M-A-H-K-O.